Welcome to the 25th episode of Method in Madness. Yes, friends, we have completed now 25th episode. So this episode had to be someone special. Today's guest is Raymond Menz. Raymond is an American expert and political scientist. He studied in Amsterdam and Virginia, and he is an expert in U.S. politics. Now, if you follow uh, d- debates about uh, U.S. elections, politics on Dutch television, Raymond needs no introduction he has been a very popular face on dutch television and i had the honor to be in one of his courses on behavioral design thinking earlier this year he's also an author he's written his first book long live trump and his second book uh, news as a weapon is coming out very soon with such plethora of experience comes also a plethora of madness and today this gentleman is going to share all his madness all his methods and what keeps him going please help me welcome uh, my teacher my friend Raymond Mintz this is method in madness welcome to method in madness Raymond how are you doing today I'm actually doing quite fine. Thank you. Yeah, I'm a big fall guy. So I love it when the <laughs> weather turns and uh, I see the leaves uh, changing. That makes me happy. And when I was driving up here, I saw lots of trees that were changing color and stuff. And I, it makes me happy. I like it. I know not a lot of people like it, but I do. I personally don't like it because this is also a time of the year which makes me very, very homesick because this is actually a festive time in India yeah. where people are celebrating and uh, partying. Compared to Netherlands, where trees are falling, yeah, and moods somber. are falling. So, uh, but good to know that somebody enjoys it. Maybe your energy will rub on me, and after that, after today, I will start enjoying fall as well. But you know, this podcast you can tape from pretty much anywhere, so you can also travel home. Or don't you have the time to do it? <laughs> I do, but uh, the prices of flights have not been generous. No, 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 no. So, so Raymond, we know about your journey today that you enjoyed the car ride, but how has your journey been in general in your life? What made you a, a TV personality, a, a trainer, an author, a communication expert? Yeah, I think that is very difficult to answer, but that's good. That makes it a good, <laughs> um, a, a good question. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I always believe that um, uh, a passion, for instance, uh, that you have for something can be inside of you, but it's also shaped by the way your life uh, evolved and um, we might want to talk about that a bit later. But for instance, when I launched my first book, I went to certain people to hand over the book that inspired me. And one of them was actually a guy that uh, together with his brother made sort of cartoons for children. Mm-hmm. And I know when I was very young, I watched that and he was with his brother. They were pretending to be a clown and an acrobat and they were traveling all across America. And that sort of uh, started my love for that country. Because yeah. I thought, oh, this is a great country. This is interesting. You've got Las Vegas, you've got New York, you've got Yellowstone National Park. Oh, that is, that is so cool. And uh, later there were reporters uh, that I really liked and followed and events that happened that really captured my uh, imagination. So so I think it's these things in life that sort of happen, yeah. that happen to you, yeah. that sort of have an imprint or make an imprint uh, on you. And I think that is the same with uh, probably if you want to be on TV and talk about your passion. I'm sure when you were in class, when you were young, then you might want to, you might have been skipped over and it's also <laughs> an attention craving thing. I cannot remember that happening, but I'm sure that happened also. Of course. I think that's part of the deal. And mostly, I think the people that you meet in your life mm. shape you for a large part. And that starts, of course, with uh, with family, I think. And that may- brings you to your current journey, family, friends, all the amazing people that you meet. 
and also created the love for America. We're going to go to America in a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But don't want to uh, jump the gun here. You know, but but <laughs> that, that's why because your uh, podcast actually uh, alludes to that. It's it's of course in life. It's part of the journey. And yes. the journey is what it's about. But that is difficult to realize sometimes because you're of always course. looking ahead. And uh, I always want to go too fast. Yes. Instead of just enjoying the ride, I do it more. But it's. Uh, I, I think it comes also with age. I think when yeah. uh, with getting older, you start enjoying the journey because there is nothing fun in the destination. It is the journey that is, is way journey, more yeah. fun. Yeah, yeah. It, but 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 it's difficult though to comprehend because I'm always so focused on doing this and then you want to take the next <laughs> step and then I'm already thinking because my next book has not even launched, but I'm working on a third one. So I think, oh, well, I keep going. Whereas, yeah, that's not really what it's about, right? It's no. about uh, what you do while you uh, are making, planning, or thinking of something. Absolutely. Which brings me, you're also a communication expert. You are, uh, you tell people how to best communicate. But the one thing I have noticed in my experience with communication is, you know, in good times, everybody is the best communicator. It doesn't take a lot to communicate great news. Like, you know, we're all making profit. We all going to give you like a 20% hike or everything is hunky dory. When it comes to giving difficult news, it is often way tougher and leadership. I've seen crumble because, you know, you, you come across, uh, you lack empathy or you're too stoic, you're too, you know, boring. And of course, it causes unrest in an organization, in a family, everywhere. Uh, what are your main tips on communication during stress and while communicating bad news? Yeah, so I never set out to be a communications advisor. It sort of <laughs> happened. I studied journalism, actually. Okay. Because I wanted to be a reporter in the United States, uh, which might uh, still have an option. Yeah, yeah exactly. 35, you know, but uh, after that, I started um studying political science in the university yeah. of amsterdam and also in the university of virginia and yeah those things combined led to a sort of understanding about how politics uh, uh works how media perception works yeah. and that sort of rolled me into uh being a communications advisor or uh, whatever you want to call it and yeah one of the most biggest mistakes of course that are being made is that people lie and think they can get away with it that's number one uh, and of course they uh, are in their own bubble uh, and they want to communicate or talk from their bubble, but the audience is actually the folks at home most of the time. So maybe the employees or uh, another audience. So it's really about relating to them. So it requires you in moments of stress to, just as you do in your personal life when you have it, to take a step back yeah. and assess the situation and then think, okay, who are we trying to either persuade here or convince of something yeah. or trying to actually uh, make them accept our apology, for instance. Yeah. So it, it starts with communicating uh, to them. And that is getting out of your bubble number yeah. one uh, and knowing your audience i mean it's basically very straightforward yeah and then actually telling the truth and you can uh, you know do a lot with tone and uh, and, and you can uh, uh, emphasize other parts of your uh, statement or your response but it it does start with telling a straightforward story because otherwise people you know just uh i would say that in, in english they uh, see through you see through you see yeah. through you Makes sense. It's it's actually, when you say it, it sounds like low-hanging fruit, but I think well, uh, maybe people just find it difficult sometimes to be authentic. They use so many tips and tricks that authenticity, knowing your audience and saying the truth the, yeah. in the right way. But I, but I believe it is low-hanging fruit. I mean, it's different if you, if you say to me, let's start a campaign. Uh, you and I met when we were actually in a course of behavioral uh, yeah. design. Raymond and, was my teacher. Yeah, and, uh, and, and, and there you can... Uh, now you, you have to persuade folks. Uh, you want to know their pains, their anxieties. You want to know what their job to be done is. And then you can actually appeal to that. But when it comes to moments of crisis or stress, 
then it starts, I believe, with the low-hanging fruit. And only then can you start to build yeah. and maybe, uh, and of course, that's all part of behavioral design as well. But then you can build uh, on that. Yeah, absolutely. Would be my uh, approach. Talking about stress and um, difficult news. Yeah. Let's talk about your first book. Yeah. <laughs> you are, you written a book on Donald Trump. I did, I did. Yeah. <laughs> Long live Trump. Long live Trump. Long live Trump. And of course, I want to know what the book is about. Um, who doesn't love Trump? And the second thing is you launched this book during the pandemic. Yeah. And I understand and I've, I've, I also had a book release around that period. It is extremely frustrating because you want to have this big book launch. You want to welcome your friends, family to see your, your months, potentially years of hard work. Uh, finally, you're holding it in your hand. But during that pandemic, this was not possible. So, and I know you took a different route to uh, market yeah. it, to launch it, to feel celebratory. I want to know that. But first, I also want to know what is the book about? So a fascinating creature, of course, um, Donald Trump. <laughs> um, but uh, he is so fascinating. And it is also part of the reason why you can't keep your eyes off of him. And people are very focused on him. But it's really not about Trump. It's about what he represents. Yeah. So Trump is uh, taking advantage of certain things that are happening in American society, in American politics, in American culture, American media. Um, but he is just that. He is just taking advantage of it. It's actually about something much larger. So that's why yeah. I came up with the title Long Live Trump because it's mainly about, you know, the queen just passed away. Um, yeah. The queen has died. Long live the king. So Trump is of age. He is nearing mm -hmm. uh, his 80th birthday in a few years and he might not be around for a long time anymore, but that's not the point. If Trump disappears, there will be a new Trump. Because there are certain trends, uh, you he's know. leaving a legacy behind. He's leaving a legacy behind, yeah. I mean, you can credit him uh, with uh, coming up with a vision for the Republican Party that you and I can both repeat here, which is America first. Yeah. Uh, but it's also because the Republican Party before Trump came along was soul-searching. What does it mean to be a conservative in the 21st yeah. century? Uh, you have the U.S. electoral system, of course, with the electoral votes, uh, very different from what we know in, uh, in Europe or other countries. The American media... Uh, how news is perceived, how news yeah. is created, all these things that are what I call the trends behind the Trump uh, presidency, which makes that even if Trump goes away, Trumpism, so to speak, will not go away. And that's why I thought, you know what, let's write a book about that. And it also came at a nice time. I was following US politics for about 20 years. Yeah. So I was looking for a way, not through a podcast, not through a column, not through a speaking gig, but through some through a way to talk about what I've learned and seen in those 20 years yeah. and sort of, Everything I've seen in this 20 years sort of communicated or sort of, how do you say it in English? Uh, 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 it came together. Uh, yeah, when Trump came along. Yeah. So that was you saw that coming. You yeah, know. so that was another reason for putting pen to paper and writing a book. <laughs> Fantastic. And the launch, you you had, you had took a different route to the launch. Instead of having a party, You you what did you do and why did you do? Oh, yeah, you say uh, uh, it was during the pandemic, so you could not have a party. That is true. But what was much worse is that you could not have lots of speaking opportunities because normally you go to bookstores and you have local exactly. uh, readings and sign sessions, and then uh, you can actually sell a lot of copies. And it was a, a more of a bummer that we couldn't have that. But you're right. I could also not have a lunch party. And I decided, you know what? I don't really care. I want to do something else. So I went back to uh, a few people, including uh, uh, one of the guys that made this television show when I was young that sort of introduced me to the United States for the first time. And I just went to them and, long, and handed them the book and then made a photographs, videos about it, and then planted that uh, on social media. It's actually a nice way to do it because it's a nice way to meet your childhood heroes. Yes. Um, but also a nice way to say thank you. And it's also a nice way to uh, get some attention for the book. So 
for the second book, I'm not planning to copy it and do the exact same thing, but I will hand over the book to someone who is quite famous in the Netherlands and then hand it over on TV. So I've actually decided, even though COVID has uh, sort of passed and gone away, that for the second book, I don't really need to have a lunch party either. I just want to uh, uh, go to people and hand it over, which I think yeah. is much more fun. Yeah, that's fantastic. I, I Before I go to your second book, there is a question that just popped in my head. Um, TV is a fascinating medium. I think some call it, all famously call it the idiot box, but I think it has really changed the way we we entertain ourselves. Of course, there's been smartphones and all these things that has come, but TV itself, like the uh, the visual medium, ha- has is is extremely uh, powerful. Um, I love watching television, but I have never been on the other side to be actually on a television program or show. Um, do you remember the first time when you were actually on a TV show? Oh yeah, where there were butterflies in your stomach. What what was the feeling when like, today you're cool as a cucumber? I've seen pictures, I've seen you here and there on news uh, debates, but that first feeling, and when was it? It was at the Dutch National Broadcasting uh, Station. I yeah. think it is the best watch um, uh, news channel in the Netherlands, and it was at their late night talk show. Yeah. And I was a nervous wreck <laughs> because it was the first time for me and uh, I also knew that I wanted to make a good impression because if you make a good first impression on a TV show guess what they invite you back uh, and I cannot think of uh, a lot of things that are more fun than being on TV and talking about your hobby because I like to talk about what it is that I think is uh, interesting and what I uh, what I have a passion for and if you can do it on TV with millions of people watching that is extra nice Yeah. if I go to the market now people will comment and uh, say something which I think is very uh, nice as long as it's about something that you yeah. have a passion for which is the case in my uh, case so but the first time I did it I really wanted to do it well I also knew that lots of friends would be watching uh, basically everybody you know will be watching so if you make a mistake everybody will see it so I was very very uh, nervous but I got a good tip from my publisher actually who said uh, I mean what helped me is that I'm I'm there to talk about something that I know a lot about yeah so I wasn't worried about the questions they can shoot anything at me and I'll be fine but it was do I say it the right way? Um, do I start to sweat, for instance? And do I realize I start to sweat? Because if I realize I start to sweat, it will only be worse and worse yeah. and worse. And then my publisher said to me, when you're there at the table, just take a deep breath and say to yourself, I'm actually a very, uh, it, they say it in Dutch, but in English it would be, I'm like a nice guy. I'm a sympathetic <laughs> guy and I have a good story to tell. Yes. And I still do that every TV show. Really? Yeah, because wow. it sort of calms me down, especially now because... I'm used to doing it and uh, there is absolutely no stress involved anymore. But because of that, you are busy talking to folks right up until the uh, uh, talk show starts. Sometimes there's an audience, you talk to people and then uh, a few seconds before the show starts, the producer comes up and says, okay, guys, attention, please, we're going to start. And then you're also kind of hurried. And then it's nice to still take a moment and say, deep breath. I'm a sympathetic guy with a good story to tell. So nothing to worry about here. And then everything flows. Well, I, I enjoy it. I, I don't know if podcast makes you nervous, but let no. me tell you, you're a very nice guy. And have a great, sorry, to, sorry, I had to make that joke. And and, and in a time when um, I'm, uh, the world is becoming a bit more, uh, you know, trolling was not something we knew 10 years back. You say something, people pick, pick it out of context and troll you on internet and social media. This yeah. happens to a lot of people. The more famous you get, the more uh, you're at the higher risk of these of these kind of backslash. Sometimes things are taken completely out of context. That is, and and misled. Uh, does it still the, the, now with the world becoming that kind of place? Does it ever stay in your brain when you are giving interviews, sharing your opinions? 
Yeah, especially when I'm on um, uh, TV shows that I know that are being watched a lot and I sometimes watch what I say. Mm. Um, I don't hide it. So I always think to myself, if people ask me a question, I'm going to answer it straight up. Yeah. But there's also times where... But that's directness. Yeah, I like it. I like it. Uh, and then I also think you shouldn't be on TV if you don't speak your mind. Exactly. But there are moments where things are being discussed where I could jump in, where I sometimes think, no, let's not jump in right <laughs> here. If they, if, and then I'm thinking to myself, if they would ask me a question, okay, great, I'll, uh, I'll answer. But sometimes I don't uh, jump in. But it's also... Uh, part of it. I mean, I've got uh, even death threats when I once spoke out about uh, the Dutch farmer situation. Yeah. Uh, wow. And uh, yeah, it happens. Yeah. It is, uh, I, I look at it and then I think uh, about a great lesson from Donald Trump, which is there's no such thing as bad PR. <laughs> and I always think, okay, great. Uh, now there's in the news that I'm being threatened. Well, now I'll take it with a grain of salt. I think it's, uh, yeah, I, I don't know what to say. I don't know what in your position, how it must be, but sorry to hear that that, that kind of reaction has also come your way. Because news, as we know, is is a powerful device and who better than you know about it because you're writing a second book on it. Actually, you've just written a second book about it. Uh, there's a Dutch name, but the English name is uh, News as Weapon. Yeah. And uh, it's going to, uh, you know, hit this uh, sacks uh, in next week, I think. Yeah, two weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. two weeks. And so it's, I'm very excited. Yeah, it, it's, I, it sort of evolved logically after writing a book about Donald Trump. I thought, okay, <laughs> what would be a next uh, logical subject to write about? And it sort of happened naturally because I was watching a lot of Fox News. Because when you watch Fox News, then you also stay up to date about what's happening on the conservative side of yeah. US politics, US uh, culture. So the same there, the same with Trump that I thought, okay, interesting. How did that get started? And uh, it was very fun to write about because you write about all these um, these very iconic characters. It all starts with Ted Turner. You still know who that is? No. No. Ted Turner is the founder of CNN. Oh, okay. He's a big media mogul. He still lives. He uh, lives in Montana. He's got a yeah. big ranch there. He's actually one of the biggest landowners in the United States because he yeah. used all his money to buy up land from farmers. <laughs> and then he got away with all the cows and then he put back in bisons because he wants to restore the North American bison population. So he lives in Montana, beautiful ranch. Uh, but in the 70s, he was a very uh, outspoken media figure. And he thought, you know, news is sort of a public service that we do. Yeah. But more and more in the 60s and 70s, he thought, you know, it's also a big money maker. I can make a shitload of money by making news. And if I can make a shitload of money by making news, why not make news 24 hours a day? Yeah. So he launched what would became known as CNN, the cable news network. And he was laughed at like, this is not serious, the 24 news i mean news is half an hour each day yeah on the big channels cbs nbc abc and he thought no i can actually make some money and he did it and uh it was uh difficult the first few years but he built a big powerhouse the biggest yeah. news uh brand in the world and that spurred other characters like rupert murdoch roger ailes to say you know what cnn but also the new york times it's all very left-wing very elitist yeah we should start a counter movement and that launched fox news <laughs> which is now the biggest U.S. Uh, channel. And fast forward to today, I don't know if you remember, but with the Kyle Rittenhouse uh, trial, that's uh, so after George Floyd was killed, yeah. there were riots a lot in a lot of U.S. Uh, cities, including in Kenosha. Mm -hmm. And Kyle Rittenhouse was a 17-year-old guy who decided to grab his gun, his AR-15, which is actually a, a sort of a semi-machine gun. And he decided to go into town and help protect people that had shops there that were afraid it was being, their shops were being plundered. And uh, he was welcomed by them. And he was also welcomed by local police. You know, great to have you here. And when he got into a fight with some Black Lives Matter uh, protesters, he shot two of them. Mm. Uh, and he says it's out of self-defense, of mm. course. So 
that's that shows you that there there's there's something that happens and everybody agrees okay this is what happens but um the news in the us being what it is it is two different interpretations of one yeah. so at fox news it was like this guy is a freedom fighter and at cnn and msnbc he was like a cold-blooded killer yeah and you see that the that divide in news outlets uh, you know same reality very different perception of it also rings true in politics uh, when he had his trial uh, because he shot two people he was actually acquitted on all counts because he has a right in that state to have a gun to carry the gun and to also defend himself mm-hmm. and it was proven that he had to defend himself so he actually got acquitted and after that you see the political divide sort of mimics the news media divide because Biden said it was appalling and uh, we might need to make some changes here to make sure that this doesn't happen again. But the next day, Kyle Rittenhouse flew to Mar-a-Lago to Trump's house and he was, uh, you know, he got a hero's uh, welcome there. So, you know, oh. one thing happens, but the perception of it is very different. And of course, that brings true in a lot of yeah. uh, debates, including uh, presidential politics for instance yeah, uh, cnn and msnbc say that trump is a dictator to be who sort of tried to you know shove aside u.s politics tried to commit a coup and if you watch fox news then trump is uh, the savior that's yeah. going to save the republic so uh, i thought that is an interesting uh, story in and by itself to go back 40 years and talk about okay how this did you know how did this get started and then you can also talk about folks like Tucker Carlson, Rachel Meadow, Bill O'Reilly. So it was a lot of fun to write about. And all these little generals and soldiers are very important characters throughout the book. And and um, where does the uh, what is the definition of the word truth in today's time? Because uh, we rely oh, yeah. on media heavily to give us information, and that's the, one of those main purposes to tell us this happened, give us facts, so yeah. we can make our opinion, which is not the case. And it's not just US, I think everywhere in the world, we are seeing so much bipolar opinions from media houses that as a common man, I mean, not everybody, um, you know, sinks their teeth into politics and wants to uh, spend hours reading and knowing what's going on. Uh, What happens to them? Where do they find the, the truth? Well, the truth is dead, my friend. I, uh, <laughs> I have no other way of explaining it to you. I, I end the book um, by um, sort of an anecdote that on Trump, on, on Fox News, I mean, they uh, say that that's the only channel where you can get objective news. Yeah. You know, we report, you decide. Uh, and for you as a reader, it's to decide what the truth is. I yeah. mean, I cannot tell you, but what I can tell you is that you remember when Donald Trump got inaugurated that he claimed to have the biggest inaugural crowd ever. Yeah. And photographs clearly showed he didn't. Yeah. And then his communications advisor, Kellyanne Conway, said, you know, but Donald Trump has alternative facts. Well, maybe we live in a world where everybody has their own facts. Yeah. Um, it's not that I want it to be that way, but uh, maybe that's the way it is. I mean, the truth is perhaps the victim of this media war that, yeah. uh, at least in the US, has ripped the country apart. Uh, but you see it in the Netherlands. Uh, everywhere. Also. Yeah. I think you everywhere that, in the world. That's Yeah. The- so maybe the, the job is uh, to do what I do, which is watch all the channels. <laughs> and then maybe you get close to the truth, but I don't know. Which uh, brings me to... I'm not in the business of giving you a self-help book or solutions. I tell you what it is or yeah. how it is. Same with Trump. People might want wish him to disappear. And I'm saying it's not going to happen. Uh, and, I, and, and for you as a reader, it's to decide whether you are happy with that or sad yeah. by that or frightened or angry or whatever it is. Uh, but or I just, confused or confused or, uh, or or whatever but i write down what i see yeah and i don't give my opinion you can uh, give Absolutely. your own you can make up your own mind about whether it's good or bad or 
whatever it becomes. And, and that is exactly what I think the world needs. We, nobody should be spoon-fed an opinion. Give me the facts and what, what is out there for me to make a rational decision. Yeah, and it's also my political science, uh, yeah. I think, background that makes it uh, that I don't want to give my opinion. I want to give and show people what I see. Yeah. And then you can make up your own mind. Fantastic. One small question. Uh, you are, you don many hats. You're, 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 you're very active in media. You're, you train people as well. You're into communication. You're also, you have political stand. You don so many hats and every time you change from one role to the other, you have to also change a bit of yourself. You can't have that, um, say the political uh, speaker when you're giving a training and vice versa. What do you do? How do you ch- bring that subtle change in your personality, in your way you talk or the way you want to function every time you don a new hat? Yeah, it sort of evolved naturally this uh, way. So maybe it also comes a bit uh, naturally. I do know that if I don't do it, I get very bored. Mm-hmm. So I need to do it and uh, I, I like it also. And uh, what I do know is that in, at least in my mind, but uh, uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure if that's objectively true, but at least in my mind, it rings true and that keeps me together, which is that there is a common thread to everything, which yeah. is I like to tell stories. Yeah, And sometimes that's to help people to, to perform in the media. Sometimes it's to help to put uh, uh, communications uh, storyline out there. Sometimes it's writing a book, sometimes it's doing a podcast, sometimes it's a speaking gig, but I like to tell stories. So that's sort of the main, I do have a main uh, arch, so to speak, that sort of, piles everything uh, uh, together and uh, I think it's my job that to take stuff out there that might be a bit complicated or it might be uh, all over the place and sort of tie it together and tell it in a neat story so that folks understand that's what I do all the time so in my mind there is a common denominator to everything I do it just shows itself in various ways yeah and that's how I can cope and if I do something completely different then it might be different but that's not the case at least not in my mind so let me um, the, hear a story from you on the very last question I have. The podcast is called Method in Madness. And I like to know people's madness. Has there been a moment in your life that you've done something that uh, you look back today and say, oh my God, what was I thinking? I was so brave or I was so crazy. Like you've done something where everybody told you don't do it or are you mad, but you still did it. I'm not sure about everybody telling me don't do it, but I, uh, now for instance, when I wrote my first book, it's something I really wanted to do. I told everybody that uh, I was going to do it. Yeah. Everybody knew. And I didn't even have a publisher. <laughs> Nothing. Uh, I had a manuscript that, and, and, and publishers turned me down because they said, yeah, it's, uh, it, it, it looks like it's a very positive book on Donald Trump and we're not, we don't want to publish that. So, uh, I got myself into a corner there by telling all my friends, family, colleagues that I'm writing this book about the 2020, uh, election. And uh, and when summer hit, I was sort of in a panic because I'm like, yeah, I told everybody and I don't even have a publisher. Maybe this ship is not going to sail. Um, but I'm a big believer in uh, going for your goals and envisioning it and then not letting go. Yeah. And then I, and in, at least so far, uh, I'm 35, so hopefully there's 35 or more years to come. But <laughs> Even uh, more. Yeah, but so far it always worked out that way. And with the book, the same thing. Eventually I did land very last minute a publisher. Uh, because basically I decided, you know what, F all the publishers, I'm going to publish it myself. Yeah. Nobody wants to take the chance, I'll take the chance myself. Uh, but I did want to have someone look at my manuscript to make it better because you can never look at your own text to make it better. No. You need to get some outside uh, opinion. For and sure. the lady I actually came into contact with said, well, that's a coincidence. We just launched our own publishing agency, so we can start right away publishing. And I thought, oh, that's great. So 
looking back, I'm very happy about that event, but I know that uh, about six months before the election, which was when I was supposed to publish my book, I was like, I told everybody I know that I'm going <laughs> to publish this book and I don't even have a publishing agency. This is really pathetic. <laughs> but I stuck with, stuck with it and I'm happy about that. I think that that uh, our common uh, trends of great people like you or even Steve Jobs who always have a vision and they promise a product and along the way they work uh, hard with all the conviction to reach there. And that conviction, that... Uh, uh, self-belief and that focus needs a little bit of madness. So glad you I have that. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. And now I talk to friends who I've known from high school and uh, or elementary school sometimes, and they say, you know, when you were like twelve years old, you were talking about that you wanted to be like uh, in politics and uh, talk about politics on TV, and you actually <laughs> did it. And now it's sort of, yeah, in my mind, it makes sense because I've always wanted to do this. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's been a great time chatting with Thank you. Thank you for I, having I me. I loved. Our conversations. I wish you lots of success with your up, up, upcoming book, and um, and we will be in touch. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. The twenty fifth episode of Method in Madness is finally over. Well. Our journey has just begun because in the coming episodes, we will bring a little bit of change, lots of more madness and something that will keep you glued. Till then, stay tuned, stay mad because staying mad is the best way to go forward.